So the reading is from 1 Thessalonians, and it's chapter 2, and starting at verse 17, and the whole of chapter 3. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy up, up, sorry, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So this is uh, Gospel Encouragement. It's the third in our series of evening services on 1 Thessalonians. They all began with the Gospel message, and two weeks ago, Grant continued with Gospel ministry. This evening, we're looking at the topic of Gospel Encouragement. In my... So that's... If I use this... There we go. My right hand is now catching up with what my brain is telling my... uh, to say. In my early notes, you'll be pleased to know this was a two-point sermon, but it's become a three-point sermon. And all points, as traditional, start with the letter P. In fact, all the words could have begun with a P if I had spelt feedback with a PH at the start, but I didn't. 
This is a great passage in this letter where we can look at Paul's model of encouragement, how it comes from the good news that he is so passionately communicating, and how it comes from both receiving that gospel and seeing it at work. And we're just reminded, aren't we, of some of those messages of encouragement that Anne and Elizabeth and Terry just shared with us. Because for all of us, whether Christians or just looking at it into, at this stage, here's the question. If you could see God at work in the world today, his kingdom being lived out here and now, wouldn't you want to be part of it? That question both challenges us and draws us in to be participators in life, not just spectators. And as I read through this passage, the verse that stood out was verse 8. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. To really live, what is that? Jesus promised in John chapter 10 verse 10 that he had come that they might have life and have it to the full, really living. We'll come back to that verse later on. But let's start with Paul's personal pronouns. Did you notice, as Terry was reading just now, how many personal pronouns were in that passage? Personal pronouns, words like I and we and you, us, our and your. It is quite clearly a very personal part of the letter. And I wondered if that was the same as in the rest of the letter. So I did a bit of analysis and produced a graph. Only this week at work, one of my engineering colleagues said to me on another topic, just do a graph. We're engineers, we love graphs. And he's right. They help us relate one topic to another, to see trends, to see relationships, to see similarities. So, this graph has along the bottom, I, can, I think I can do that with this one, has along the bottom here, all the words in 1 Thessalonians in order. I haven't written them all out. There are 1,975 of them. But imagine them all in order there. The blue lines here then help us out a bit because they split them up into chapters. So there's chapter 1, a bit shorter than chapter 2, quite a long one if you do a word count. Then chapter 3, then chapter 4, then chapter 5. This yellow line is the line that you get when you count how many times these personal pronouns, the you, your, we, our, us, and I, have been used in the last hundred words. So that as that hundred word block moves along through Thessalonians, the percentage goes up and down as the sample changes and the hundred words contain more or fewer of those pronouns. It's interesting, isn't it, how it does seem to go in cycles there. You've got sort of about four or five different mountains. Maybe there's an introduction bit, then a couple of themes, and maybe fewer of those personal pronouns at the end. Perhaps that's when he's being a bit more instructional there, rather than he's really, when he's pouring his heart out to them and using a few more very personal pronouns. Might be interesting to compare this letter with other letters he's written. This one is thought to be one of his first, written in, uh, when he was in Athens uh, as he was waiting for 
Timothy and uh, Silas to come to him. I haven't done that actually with any of the others yet. That's something I might do later on, just because I like graphs and things. But anyway, the red dotted lines there between those two bits, they mark out this particular passage, which is the end of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. And the green circle there then says, yeah, this, you were right, Martin. Your hypothesis was correct. There are more personal pronouns in this patch than in the other bits. And maybe it is for the reasons that I was thinking about. Paul is being very personal here because he's explaining his absence from them. And he's also encouraging the Thessalonians. The five times he mentions the word faith, it's always your faith. He's speaking to them and encouraging them to remember and hold on to and deepen their faith. And also, interestingly, he uses the word I a lot more here. That little bit just in the middle there. He writes the letter from himself, Silas, and Timothy. So he uses we a lot because of that, because he's introduced the other two at the start of the letter. And I'm sure he's writing for them as well as they were all together uh, when they were originally in uh, Thessalonica. But in verse 5, chapter 3, he's very keen to tell them that when I could stand it no longer, I set out to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you. Now, he's not suggesting that Silas and Timothy really didn't care about the Thessalonians, but that he, Paul, really did. And this is the parent heart of Paul that we'll look at later on. The thing is, as he writes his letter so personally, he's really opening up his heart to them and encouraging them with how important they are to him, which is why he uses you and your a lot there. Quite unselfconsciously in this passage, He's revealing his longing for them and his loving for them. They are his overwhelming joy and also his intolerable suspense. How are they doing? How are they getting on? I need to know. There's a real intensity as we read about his effort and his earnestness in here. And there's a strong contrast of the distress and persecution that he talks about as he also promotes the gospel with encouragement and strength. So he had to leave Thessalonica in a rush, much earlier than he'd wanted to, and he hadn't been able to get back. He describes that as being stopped by Satan. It's not clear exactly what he means here in chapter 2, verse 18. But from Acts 17 we know that the church leader Jason had been arrested for allowing Paul in and in all probability was only let out on bail, as described in Acts, if Paul didn't come back. It's a particularly tough punishment. It's hard to take the punishment yourself sometimes, isn't it? But it's harder if the person who suffers when you break the terms of your exclusion order is not you, but someone else. Maybe that's the reason. We don't know. We do know that Paul found a way through it by sending Timothy. And when Paul writes about sending Timothy as his representative, he does a couple of things. Firstly, he calls him our brother and God's fellow worker, a phrase to emphasize that Timothy is more than just a messenger or a substitute for Paul, but he is himself a gifted and qualified representative. Secondly, he underplays how much he is actually going to miss Timothy. 
Timothy has just come back to him after being away in Berea, and Paul is just about to send him off again. When Paul says, we thought it best to be left to ourselves, it's not a we that includes Silas at that stage, as Silas is currently in Berea, but it's probably a royal we that Paul also uses here. In other words, meaning Paul. Paul doesn't like being alone. The last time he was alone in Athens was a fairly painful experience for him. He was quite oppressed by all of the idolatry that he saw as he wandered around the city. So he isn't actually going to enjoy the fact that just as Timothy has come back, he's about to send him off again to find out how the church in Thessalonica is doing. So we thought it best is, yes, it's going to be best for Thessalonians. It's not really going to be best for Paul, but... He does actually want to get an answer to his question. How are they doing? I can't stand it any longer. And so maybe that's the balance that he made. And in this first section, in in chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 5, Paul is explaining his absence, but also revealing what they mean to him and why his longing is so great and needs to be satisfied. My mum has always told me how many hugs... Everybody needs a day. The answer is seven, by the way, which is two more than articles of fruit and veg. So I don't know if you're actually keeping up with the number of hugs that you are receiving or giving a day, but let me encourage you in that. She's always saying how much we can't really tell someone too much what they mean to us or that we're thinking of them. In fact, literally, as I got to this point as I was writing this, someone sent me a text to encourage me. They know who they are, and it was very well received. In our lives, we may not be separated by distance or the threat of punishment for someone else, like Paul was, but perhaps we're separated by time or by busyness. And we all know the encouragement to hear that someone is thinking of us or telling us what we mean to them. Paul's encouragement here is also very down-to-earth. Expect persecution, he says. Which doesn't sound the most encouraging sort of thing, does it? Except it is when you're dealing with something as important as the gospel. And Paul never dressed up the gospel as freedom from pain or freedom from hardship. On the contrary, he frequently reminded new converts that they would suffer for being Christians, but that they always had a greater hope. He wants them to take courage because they will need it. And God's power will enable them to grow in perseverance and character and hope despite the inevitable trials from living against the grain and presenting the truth of the gospel, the good news. Just because it's good news doesn't mean that it isn't going to be painful painful for them to present that. So, personal pronouns. Positive feedback. The next thing this passage shows us is that as we encourage each other in the good news that we have, we ourselves may well be encouraged. And this is like positive feedback, isn't it? Now, ask any sound desk operator, and they'll tell you that positive feedback is not a good thing. A microphone too close to a speaker picks up the noise from the speaker, 
That gets amplified, making the noise from the speaker louder, making the microphone pick up more noise, which then gets amplified, and we soon get that howling sound piercing our ears, don't we? You can remember that experience. There's no need to demonstrate it now. Simple message there is keep microphones away from speakers. But next time you hear that howling sound, just think of the positive message when it can be a positive thing, like the gospel encouraging us and encouraging others as, it, as they encourage us and as we encourage them. Because the speed with what, which such a system like microphone feedback spirals out of control in other contexts can actually be quite exciting rather than annoying. And here, Paul is desperate to know how his fledgling Christians in Thessalonica are doing. He hasn't got Facebook or Twitter available to him. He simply can't stand any longer the pain of not knowing something. He's like the sower in Jesus' parable. He's had the chance to plant some seed, but how has it grown? He set out to encourage them, and he ends up being encouraged by them. The sower gets to hear about the harvest. Paul used the analogy of planting seed elsewhere in his letters. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And that's exactly what God does here. Because Timothy returns from, to Paul from his nurturing and fact-finding mission with the news that, no, the seed that Paul planted did not fall on the path, letting the birds pick it up. The Thessalonians had understood it and had allowed it to take root in their hearts. And although they had faced persecution, like the seed falling on rocky places, the brief watering Paul had given them before he left was the knowledge to expect persecution. And their roots had grown deep enough to survive. And the tempter had not managed, like thorns growing among the crop, to strangle their growth and lead them astray. This was Paul's biggest concern because he knew he hadn't been able to continue to give them the nurturing they needed. But Timothy comes back and the picture he paints in Paul's mind would be like he was running arms out through fields of corn, all swaying in the breeze and growing towards the sun. And what an encouragement that must have been for Paul. And he got that encouragement because he fought to be able to find a way to encourage them. He was encouraged that they longed for him like he longed for them. They had ignored any rumours that there might have been about his sudden departure. So we come to verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What Paul is saying here is we encourage you, your faith encourages us we are bound in this message together. We're sharing the truth of this gospel, even though we're apart. Our lives are linked with yours. His encouragement to them tells them how much they are affecting others. This is a two-way street. Had the seed Paul planted borne fruit and his labours not been in vain? Yes, this is really living. Seeing God's word in action and being part of it. Paul would have known, but also been encouraged by the fact that despite his absence, despite him not being able to nurture them 
in their early faith. God's word is powerful and the soil of that word is rich and fertile. And like he says in other letters, I planted the seed, but God made it grow. And I think that would have been, you know, Paul who would have known that lesson just being tortured again. And that was an, an, a real encouragement for us as well, isn't it? Let's not be so caught up with our activity and our striving that we miss the point that this is God's word. And whilst like Timothy, we can be his co-workers in sharing our faith and encouraging each other. Like Anne said earlier on, it's God's word. This is God. God, I need you here to do this. And he was there. And his spirit is the thing that is the power here and for us in our lives as well. Paul needed to explain his absence to them. It turned out he needed to explain that more for himself than for them, as they hadn't been led astray by rumours about Paul and his reasons for leaving them. But they had missed him also. He needed to refute rumours, but he didn't need to defend the gospel message. As Neil and Grant covered previously in chapter 1, verse 5, our gospel came to you not with simple, simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. The message came not with words, but with power. And in the absence of Paul's words in person, the power of the message at work in the lives of those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was still there. Like an uncaged lion, God's word can actually stand up for itself. And Paul is overwhelmed by this really good news that he's heard. And he turns to thanks and prayer as he bubbles over receiving this good news, echoed back to him, amplified as encouragement feeds encouragement. He knows now they're not unsettled by trials. They have taken root, and they are growing in their faith. And he prays that he might be able to visit and continue teaching and completing his discipleship training, such as the sense of his responsibility towards them. So as we look at this passage and also earlier in his letter, Paul uses pictures of relationships quite freely, almost too freely. At one point he's a child, another point he's a mother or he's a father. He addresses them as brothers and sisters. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says here, when we were torn away from you, and in Terry's uh, version when she read that, when we were orphaned from you, and that was the sense, that's the word that is being used there. It felt like... We were being orphaned at that point. And he's using that to express the force and the pain and that feeling of being bereft. And it's powerful language. All through this passage, Paul's parental nature comes through. Look at his behavior and the verbs that we might use to describe what he's thinking or going through or doing in each verse. Just look through some of those now. You'd have to be on the weekend away to understand 3 verse 2. Like geese, honking encouragement. We learnt that there from... Uh... But these are all ing words, aren't they? Present participles, verbs, doing words. It's the behaviour of a parent, isn't it? A heady mix of loving, longing... Worrying at times, enjoying, supporting, living, hoping. 
If you look at the sense of time in the passage, in 2 verse 17, brothers we were taught, and sisters, we were torn away from you for a short period of time. But that short time of separation was enough to create such longing. Chapter 3 verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Praying all the time to show they were always on his mind. In verse 6, Timothy, just now returning, gives the letter a very immediate and intimate quality, doesn't it? So as we encourage each other in sharing the gospel, we can parent each other. At work, I went on a course a few years ago. Had nothing to do with engineering, really, but a lot to do with how we interact with each other, our relationships. At work or in any situation, we may act as adults or children. Do we have a formal, clear, adult-to-adult, serious relationship with someone else? Factual, informative, adult, sharing data. Or do we behave as an adult towards someone else who behaves as a child? That child may even be your boss. Or it could be, couldn't it, at home, that your children are the adult and you are the child. That happens at times, doesn't it, in the way you might be uh, constructing a conversation. Are we a critical parent or a nurturing one? If you're faced by a critical parent, are you a rebellious child? or a compliant one? Or are you a free child? Back in chapter 2, Paul talks about, we loved you, chapter 2, verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to you or to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt... Oh, I've gone a bit too far there. Yeah. I meant earlier on. Here we go. That was it as well. I mean, that was where he was being quite childlike in his behavior amongst the Thessalonians. But we were not trying to please men, but God, our Father, who tests our heart. This is chapter 2, verse 4. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were very gentle among you. We were very childlike. Sometimes we can be like that. We can actually just be quite childlike with each other. Not childish, childlike. And sometimes that can be a way in which a relationship can work. Sometimes these relationships of adults and children or adults to adults or children to children as we look at them and try to examine them, sometimes they work well and sometimes they don't. But Paul is very clearly being a nurturing parent here. And we can do that in various contexts at church, in our various friendships, in our home groups, in other meetings where we share together. Opening up to each other in a smaller group setting can be a very encouraging experience as we build each other up. And I get that sense of encouragement in our home group. And I hope you do in yours if you're in one. Or if you're not, I encourage you to join one and to participate like that. It was great, wasn't it, to hear today from three ladies of the uh, encouragement that they brought. And it was, quite rightly from Neil, a challenge to us as blokes to be able to get up here and talk about some of those encouragements as well. 
at the last men's breakfast, I didn't share anything myself, but I was encouraged by some of the messages that came back from others as they were simply opening up some good news stories of seeds being sown or watered from conversations that they had had in the curry house with friends to conversations with builders who happened to be in their home even to the encouragement of someone just saying he'd just got engaged. I think we know who that was. So what does this mean to us today as we encourage each other in sharing the good news? Firstly, let's be positive. Let's take our encouragement from the fact that God is in control and nothing can separate us from his love his presence. Paul found ways not to let distance be a barrier to encouraging others and he describes God very much as being present. He talks about the presence of God doesn't he in this in verse 13 and also earlier on verse chapter 2 verse 19 as well the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he knows, doesn't he, about God and Jesus being present, being lived out present amongst us. We can honk encouragement to each other, can't we? Through a text, through an email, a phone call or a meal. I'm sure you're already doing that. Let's do it some more. And let's avoid discouraging others. Criticism, even when well-intended, can be damaging if carelessly communicated. Someone asked me at work why I was still there one evening. And I explained that I couldn't go home yet as I was still writing emails to send to others on how much they had disappointed me that day. Now, that wasn't actually true. <laughs> but you can imagine how it might have been. <laughs> I hopefully haven't written those. You know what it's like, don't you, to receive one of those emails. But look how positive Paul is in his encouragement in this passage. He isn't talking to the Thessalonians as well. You haven't quite got it right yet. You, you need to learn a bit more. You're not there yet. He's really encouraging them about their faith. He's talking about them as his hope and his joy, the crown in which he will glory, not because he's glorying in anything else than Jesus and God, but because they are witnesses to God's glory and Jesus' glory in the way in which they're receiving the message. Can we be positive, like the Thessalonians, when it's Timothy who visits us in our need and not Paul? When it's someone from the church and not one of the pastors? Can we take encouragement from the fact that our pastors pray for us like Paul, for the Thessalonians, and they can't always be in three places at once? Can we offer to be a, a Timothy in our desire to encourage others in their ministry and faith. So let's be positive. Let's be personal. Have you got someone you can talk to about difficulties you face or opportunities you need help with? Are you in a home group? Just as God takes us from where we are, let's do that with each other. But being sensitive to how expressive and open we might each want to be at the moment. Paul encouraged by opening himself up and by being vulnerable, not by telling others to do that. 
he encouraged them by telling them just what they meant to him, not requiring them to respond equally personally. Do we do enough just letting people know how much we appreciate them, their service in the Lord? Do we simply listen to them enough to to realize how much we actually appreciate them? And be prayerful. Let's be prayerful. We can rejoice in the power of God's word. His word has the power to change lives. We can pray for each other, for help where we need help, for hope where we need hope, so that we may together move towards holiness. Don't look back, look forward. This was something that occurred to me, and sadly it only occurred to me as I was preparing the sermon, but have you ever thought of joining the prayer corner at the end and not asking for help for prayers for something, though please do that, because they would love to pray for you if you did that. But to actually go up to them with a prayer of thanksgiving or a prayer you know, for an encouragement received. Now maybe you do already do that. You probably go along to the doctor as well, don't you? Say, I'm not ill at all. Actually, I just wanted you to see somebody who was healthy for a change because you doctors are used to seeing ill people all the time, aren't you? But it's a similar thing, isn't it? So do go to the prayer corner if you need prayer. And if you also have prayer to offer, because that would be a great encouragement to them, I'm sure, that they could pray for you and pray with you in an encouragement received. You might not want to come up here and share that with a group, share that with us, but you might just want to say, oh, that did just occur to me. I can take that really positive and encouraging prayer to the prayer team so that they are encouraged. Let's just pray this prayer together as we close. May the Lord make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen.